sharing Christ in a post-Christian world. If you've been around the church for a couple years, you've heard me talk about our mission, and it's really simple. It goes like this. Northwest Church is on mission with Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. And that's a rhymy way of saying that our mission is the same as what scriptures teach, what we believe Jesus delivered unto us, which is evangelism and discipleship. There are a lot of things that the church does. We have fun, we build community, we encourage, we laugh, all that stuff. We strengthen each other, we share spiritual gifts. But the church's mission has to be evangelism and discipleship. And I think as a church, we have a long history, Northwest does. Now I'll break on it for a second. We have a long history that predates me ever being here. It's something I got to inherit by God's grace as a pastor. But we as a people are pretty good at helping folks grow in their relationship with God. Now, if you're plugged in and if you sign up or you register or you show up to, we've got a lot of stuff going on. We believe in that. We're not just weekend services. We have so many things that we, our desire is to help people grow in Christ. Take the next step. Do what God's called you to do. Discipleship is a thing here. I think we're doing pretty well. We could always do better. I want us to keep refining and growing and doing that better for sure. But the question I think we have to ask and we're focusing on today is how are we doing at helping non-Christians find and follow Jesus Christ? How are we doing at that? As individuals, as a church family, I wanna share with you some statistics that I think are pretty concerning. Most Christians, these statistics would say that I've read, kind of narrow it down to this. It suggests that they rarely share their faith And it says that 7 to 11% of the majority of Christians share their faith, which would be their personal story of meeting Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, that's his story of salvation, one time in 24 months. That's 7 to 11% of us. The rest don't share any time at all during those two years. When when you think about these statistics, let's just say they're a little higher and we want to be generous. Let's just say it's 20%. When you think about the statistics, It should not surprise us to learn that since 2010, in America, Christianity has declined by almost 20%. That's a very, very real thing. In 1972, statistics say the United States was 90% Christian. I don't believe that, first of all. But that's like USA Today, right? 90% Christian. Today says around 60%, and I think that's about 25% would be evangelical Christians. When you look at the stats of what so-called Christians believe, how many of them don't believe the Bible is God's word? How many of them don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus? I mean, what is a Christian then? That's really the question you have to ask a lot of people that check the box and say, I am a Christian. Now you have to ask, what is a Christian? Because they don't believe the same thing all the time. So when you look at 60% say they're Christian, that's not really the case. In fact, it's far worse than the statistics say. That would be encouraging to me. But in case you're not sure, you live in Washington state. And the last Gallup poll in 2018 tells us that 45% of the people living in Washington state consider themselves non-religious. And we are number seven of all the states in our, of our country that are the least religious. And so if you wondered, having ever traveled to Texas or Louisiana, if there's a difference, you might as well call them a different country. You live in Washington, and I can't tell you how many times I got introduced when I was preaching in the South, and I used to go around and do that or preach at churches. I would get introduced as some like, this is Pastor Ben here is from Seattle. 
And he's just a courageous believer living up there in Hades, you know? <laughs> Amen. We just bless him. We just thank God for him. Amen. He's got a lot of courage. We're, we're surprised he's still alive. <laughs> Amen. We're just, Pastor Ben, we're praying for you. Going to give you a big honorarium today. Just love you. And so, <laughs> did I do good? Was that, was that funny? Was that funny? You needed that. You did. You, you needed that. Come on now. <laughs> No, I'm not kidding. I would get in, introduced, and um, one time I got introduced at a church, and you can laugh at me. It's, it's okay. I'm, I'm comfortable. One time I got introduced at a church, and I had a friend with me who was a, another pastor that I had discipled. So I was traveling, you know, two by two. Amen. I do that. So I got another guy with me, and his name happened to be Ben as well. And I got introduced at this church in Louisiana, and they introduced my friend as my partner. Now... <laughs> You can't appreciate this, all right? You can't. I just want you to know, I got introduced as a pastor from Seattle with my partner that is tagging along for ministry, and the pastor's wife darn near kicked that man's shin. And so I'm not trying to poke fun or anything, but I'm just saying, like, I stood up there, and I, was, and I have all these Louisianans looking at me going, like, what is about to happen right now? Have we changed our doctrinal state? So, so you live, it did really happen. All right. Talk about foot and mouth. I mean, just could have said friend, <laughs> mentee. You could have said, I mean, all, all the words, brother, you could have chose something different. But we live, <laughs> we live in Washington state. And I want you to know, I love Washington. I've been born and raised here. I've lived all over Washington. I love Washington. I believe God's doing great things here. I know the country has a different narrative of that, but um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm dying here, and, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful to be here. But the older you are, the more you feel the shift from what you would consider Judeo-Christian values that were embedded into the fabric of society as you knew it to what we have today, which you might call pluralistic, that many religions kind of synchronizing together, but also secular, very much godless. God is the God of the Bible has been taken out of so many things that used to be present. And so if you're older, you kind of feel this sense of loss. The older you are, the more you feel that loss, the more you remember things, and you can kind of feel something that maybe people that are younger don't always feel because they were born into a very, different, a very different world. And so it's important for us to kind of think through this and maybe ask the question, how did we, how did we get here? How do we get to a place where the church and Christianity as we know it is on such a decline? And I want to tell you why. It's not just the voting, although I think we should vote well. It's not just policies and politicians. I want to tell you why. It's that the church lost their mission somewhere along the way. And our mission isn't to just get more people to vote the way that we think they should. Our mission is to take the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and deliver it to as many people as we can because it is the only message that changes the human heart. It is the only thing that will turn the tide. The only thing. Put all that you have into this message and every way that God would call us and use us to get that message to people. Pastor Men, are you telling me that I'm supposed to be some great evangelist? No, I'm saying that we all play a part of the rescue mission of heaven to earth so that more people could be rightly reconciled to their heavenly father through Jesus Christ. Whatever part we play, we have to play it. 
We all have to be off the bench, praying, giving, going, sharing, loving, whatever we do, whatever gift we have. God has called us in this hour to be bold and to be a part of what he is doing. With this in mind, I want to share with you a couple things. The first one is very important. We have to get this if we get anything, and that is Jesus commanded us to share our faith. Matthew chapter 28 and Mark 16 Jesus' great commission. He says, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey. Not teach them to know about it. Not teach them to read. He said, teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Mark 16, preach the gospel to all creation. Don't be ashamed of what I've passed on to you. Pass it on to others. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, Paul says that if the gospel isn't shared, then people won't hear it. And if they don't hear it, they won't turn to God. He's talking about a message being passed. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8, Paul told Timothy that sharing and suffering for the gospel was his honor to bring pleasure to Christ. That even if it costs your life, we should be willing to do it because it is what we're about. That's what Paul said to a young pastor. In Philemon, a letter that we rarely read, Paul told Philemon something extraordinary. He said, I am praying for you to be effective at sharing your faith with others. How many of you have ever felt ineffective? <laughs> like this isn't working. I don't think I'm gifted to do it. <laughs> and so we let other people do it. But Paul said this, I'm praying that you would become effective. What a powerful prayer. Instead of copping out, we can start praying and asking God to help us. Sharing our faith, the gospel of Jesus, and our personal testimony of encountering him is not just a good idea. It's a command of, of the Lord. If a friend told me to do it, I'm, I might hear it, and that'd probably be it. <laughs> if my pastor told me to do it, I'd think about it. If my spouse told me to do it, I'd pray about it. But if Jesus told us to do it, we better be about it. And this isn't just what I'm telling you today. I believe this is what Jesus has for all of us in some way. In some way, we play a part of this. The gospel of Jesus, of course, is the good news that there is eternal salvation for all who are in Christ. The good news. Sometimes people will say this. They'll say, well, we just need to share the gospel by the way that we live our life. We just need to live a good life. And then if people ever ask us why we're so amazing, then we'll end up sharing with them the gospel of Jesus. And that sounds great. And I just want to say, I want to park it for a second and say, we should be a good example in the world. We should do good works in the world, but we must share good news as well. We, we are a good news organization. That is the church of Jesus Christ. We are not philanthropists. And friends, I'll tell you what, sometimes I can't distinguish between a Christian and a non-Christian by the way they live. But there's one thing that does cause us to stand out. It's that we carry a message, whether my life is good enough to compel another person or not, whether my good works are seen as righteousness or not, I carry a message that has power in it to change the human heart. And here's what we've got to remember. Yes, the scriptures say, let your light so shine among men that they would see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. But I'll tell you, if you do good deeds, but people never know that you believe in a father in heaven, they won't even know why you did what you did. 
The church has got to become bold. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. It changed our life. We're talking about what he did for us on the cross, what he paid for, and what he has for us to be about as a result, as a result of that. If my friend was sick and I had curable medicine, I'm sure that he would appreciate me checking in on him and being a good friend. I'm sure he would appreciate me bringing him a meal. I'm sure he would think that was a really great thing. You're a good friend. You brought me a meal. You thought about me. You called me. You texted me. You checked up on me. But how would he feel if he knew I had curable medicine and I never gave it to him? Friend, here's what I'm saying. The meal's important. Being a good friend's important. Being a good person's important. Checking in on someone's important. But you got to share the curable medicine because one day it's going to be over. And this is what separates us from all the rest of the religions is that we have a message about a God who did something that no one else could ever do. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter eight. This is in the gospel where things begin to turn and they're setting their sights on Jerusalem as Jesus surely is thinking about his crucifixion and of course his resurrection. He says this in a discipleship moment to his disciples in verse 34. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes, that, that word is desires, anyone desires to come after me and you wanna follow me? You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake, they will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now look at this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Can I, can I use a different word here? Anyone who is ashamed of me and my words in this secular culture. Anyone who is ashamed of me and my words in this pluralistic United States of America. I mean, you could just transpose whatever word fits there. He says, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father and with the holy angels. Jesus shares with us something that is vital for every Christian to understand that followers of Jesus have to deny themselves for the sake of him and his gospel. He adds this because we need to know this. But what does it mean? What does it mean for us to deny ourselves? It means that in every generation, every follower of Jesus is going to experience a temptation to save their life. That's what Jesus said. He said, a person that doesn't give themselves for what I'm talking about, they will seek to save their life. What, what does that mean? Well, I think one thing that it means is that we try to live a version of life that Jesus never intended. We try to live a version of Christianity where I'm a good moral person and I'm okay with God. And, and that's wonderful. We have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm saved, I'm set apart, I'm forgiven, I'm on my way to heaven. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, I've got something for you to do in this world. I gave you my mission, plan A. I put it into your hands and there is no plan B. And he wants every human heart to come under a conviction that we are a part of this. He says, deny your life so that you might save it. But there's a temptation for you to save your life, to live another version 
that has nothing to do with what Jesus said. And isn't that what Christianity has done for years and years and years? It's built a scaffolding of religion that doesn't smell like and look like and feel like what Jesus is talking about. And so then when you read the Bible as raw as you can, you're like, wow, I don't, I don't, know, if I'm, I don't know if I'm doing that. I feel kind of convicted, but let's just walk away and not deal with that real quickly. I mean, I love messages on evangelism because it's easy to make everybody feel bad in the room. You notice I didn't even have to pray this morning. Lord, would you convict us of our, of our sin? I didn't have to pray it. I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Pastors know that if you want people to just feel a little guilty, you preach on prayer because you ought to do that more. Amen. <laughs> like who's going to raise their hand? Who needs to pray more in this room? Like the person that doesn't raise their hand, nobody believes them. <laughs> and even if they pray more than everybody else, they always feel this sense of, I want to be closer to God. That's the thing about a prayerful person. But when it comes to evangelism, there can be this guilt, right? There could be this guilt, like I'm not doing enough. I'm not sharing enough. I've never shared before. And I don't want to say that out loud. And I want to act like I'm doing better than I am. Well, just, just stop all that. This isn't a guilt-ridden message. This is a message to share with us that God's given us something so precious, so powerful, that it does actually change the world, just like it changed us. And we've got to stop losing the mission and grab a hold of the Great Commission. This is what God has for us. He even goes as far as saying, those that are ashamed of me and my words in this generation, this sinful secular generation, I'll be ashamed of them. that's That's a hard thing to hear, isn't it? It's kind of a crazy thing to hear. Like if you're ashamed, you might think like, how do you get ashamed of Jesus's words? How do you shrink back? How do you shy away? What, what happens? I want to tell you one reason. It's because Jesus's gospel doesn't fit into this secular culture. It's because when you share it, you're concerned that somebody's going to reject you or somebody's going to say something to you or somebody's not going to like you or something's going to be said to you. Friends, we all feel this. We've talked about this. We're in the world and not of the world. And we feel a tension as we navigate this with the book. If you put the book aside and you try to navigate the world, then, you know, it's just about pleasure and worries and cares. You just try to get through and get to vacation and all that. But if you got the book in your heart and in your hands and you navigate, you're never getting out of tension. You're never getting out of tension. And so we're going to feel that. And, and there are times where it's like, are you a Christian? I, I got my Starbucks this morning. Amen. I did. Saint Arbucks. I went to the, you know, amen. I just, I got my coffee and the gal said to me, where are you going? And I said, I want to ask you, what do you say when people say that? Oh, I'm just heading out on my way. Is that a little bit of shame? Because it's not authentic, is it? Isn't it amazing today? I want people to be authentic. I want people to live authentically, but yet we're not. Because we have this subconscious thing in our mind, like she's not going to accept that and she's not going to understand that and she's not going to welcome that and I don't have enough time to talk to her about that. And we, we just negotiate. The reality is we had a little bit of shame to tell her. You say, well, Pastor Ben, was that you this morning? No, I told her I was on my way to church <laughs> and you could come with me. <laughs> oh, it's, it, 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 but it, let me ask you the question. You ever feel the temptation though? It's right there to not say, to not share. And there are a lot of excuses that we have. I'm in a hurry. I'm this, that, all that stuff. We'll talk about that. When I think of the gospel, I think of five words. I want to share them with you today. Creation, rebellion, redemption, response, restoration. 
Sharing with people the love of Jesus is actually not that hard. You just need to know how to do it. So these five words help me whenever I talk about Jesus with people. Creation, we were created to be like God in relationship with him. Rebellion, God gave us a choice to walk with him or walk away from him, but he desired for us to be in loving relationship, but we went our own way. Redemption, Jesus came and he gave his life for ours. He died in our place. He rose again to new life. And he did that so that he could bring us back to the father and our created order. Response, even though Jesus did that, we got to respond to it. And that's faith and repentance. We believe that Jesus came, died, rose again. He is who he said he is and that he'll forgive me as I come to him. And repentance, we turn from our way and we turn to his way. But then there's restoration and that Jesus is coming back for those that say that he's Lord and and Savior. And this is vital. We can memorize this. We can lock this in. It's very important. Jesus didn't make it complicated, and he even promises that even as we speak out, he'll put the words in our mouth. I'm not good at speaking. He'll put the words in your mouth. I fumbled, I fumbled over my words. He'll give you more, and this is how it works. We learn. It's a muscle that we haven't used. And when you haven't used that, that muscle, like when you go to the gym and you do a workout with somebody that's just a little too passionate about exercise, <laughs> and you do some kind of muscle workout and then you feel okay, but in the morning you feel almost dead. <laughs> and that muscle like came alive, like you woke something up <laughs> that's only ever been used for like drinking coffee, right? <laughs> and now you realize like, oh, there's actually something supposed to be stronger. It's a muscle we don't use. And, and it's not just a gift. Some are gifted at it, but it's a muscle that we don't use. Here's what we know. A sick person needs a doctor. An accused person needs a lawyer. A drowning person needs a lifeguard. But the biblical story tells us that every human is in need of a savior. And Jesus is a perfect savior. So why don't Christians share their faith? The second thing. I want to show you a picture. There's an organization that produced what's called the Jesus film that's been shown all over the world. It's been translated in 2,100 languages. 600 plus million people have responded to the gospel of Jesus because of this film being shown all over the world. It's incredible. They actually produced a study that gives some interesting stats about why people don't share their faith. And I won't spend a lot of time here, but I just want to show you what it says. 22% of people who say they don't share their faith, that's what, that's what we're looking at right now, says so because of fear. 17%, no opportunities. We know that's a lie. <laughs> I just haven't had any opportunities. <laughs> that's because you work at home and you, and you get your groceries delivered to your house and you need to go to the store, all right? <laughs> you need to make a change, people, all right? AI does it for me. Anyways, 17% say nothing. Nothing prevents me, I just don't do it. 10% said not equipped, I don't know how to do it. 9% people don't want it. They don't want to hear it. That's a presumption. 8% fear of rejection, 8% fear of hostility. I am too busy. I am too shy. There's never a good time to do it. It's not easy to bring it up. I don't want to come across pushy and I don't want to offend people. This is what, do you think, they hit it, don't you think? I was like looking at this, like how could I share anything uh, better? And if you haven't recently or you don't share your faith, maybe you're not good at it. And this is not the message you came to church to hear today. I bet you, <laughs> you could find yourself somewhere up here because we all can. There's something in there that, that definitely has tempted our hearts for, for sure. But I want to remind you of something very important, more important than all of these excuses or these reasons, is that the command of Jesus is to share our faith. 
and the need of people is great. The command of Jesus to share our faith is right here and the need of people is very real. And we need to remember that. So how do we share our faith? I wanna show you another picture. Barna Research, a very well-known research group, uh, shared some statistics um, about what people do when they share their story about meeting Jesus and the gospel. What, is it, what does that look like? And I won't go through all of this, but I just wanted to show you, this is what people answered when they were asked, when you share the gospel or when you share your faith or when you share something about Jesus with other people, what, what is it that you do? And so the highest percentage is sharing my own story. I just share my own story. But I, I feel like sometimes when I talk about sharing the gospel, I used to teach a class on it and it would start out as a big class and then it would slim down. <laughs> I'd start out with 200 and I end up with 12 really passionate people. <laughs> you know, in my Hearing God's Spiritual Gifts class, I'd start with 200 and end up with 250. So we all wanna learn about that, but this is one of the things that intimidates us. But I just want you to notice the bottom. Do you see that? It says debating 3%. When we think about sharing our story about meeting Jesus or the gospel, I think far too often we think that it's a debate. We think that it's just gonna end up in a debate. And I wanna tell you, most of the debates that Christians end up in is on them. Most of the debates that Christians end up in is on them. It's because of the way they're doing it. And I wanna share with you a little bit of a different way. I wanna back up and say, okay, how do we share our faith with people? I'm gonna assume that we don't know every, anything today or we know very little, and I'm just gonna go for four things. And the first one is this. We build relationships with non-Christians. You have to build relationships with people. We're, we're talking about folks that live in our neighborhood, work at our job, are part of our family, and they're at the places that we regu regularly uh, frequent. We have to get to know people. We, we need to release ourselves of the intimidation of having to make everyone love us or like us or listen to us. What about getting interested in people? That's what we're trying to do here. I don't care if you like everything about me or how I dress or what I say or when I show up. It's, it's I'm interested in you. It's a very different approach. I'm interested in you. I remember when my kids were a little bit younger and they played sports, like a lot of you sports families, you're driving all over Saturdays and Sundays and weekends and weekdays. You're just trying to get all the kids to all the different things. And I thought this was so fascinating that every time I showed up to my son's baseball and basketball and soccer, none of the parents ever wanted to talk. It was such a weird thing to just be standing next to a group of people and we're all kind of rooting for the kids that are on a team and they got to learn each other's name and work together. And they're kind of demonstrating to us that social skills can work <laughs> on a team. But what's interesting is a lot of the parents never introduce themselves. They never say hello. They never say, this is my name. And I mean, look, you might be introverted and have social anxiety, and I'm not trying to guilt you deeper, but I'm just saying, as a society, we've gone farther and farther away from even being courteous and kind and asking names and doing these kinds of things. And it doesn't help our witness because we need to get into people's lives. We need to learn their names. And so I remember just talking to my wife about this strange phenomenon of showing up and nobody introducing themselves. People would even be rooting for their kid like, yeah, go Joey or whatever. And then they look at me and go, and I'm like, yeah, man, totally. We've been here 10 weeks in a row. So <laughs> I made a decision. I don't want to do this anymore. So I would go out of my way. Hey, my name is Ben. And it wasn't awesome. People weren't always like really 
oh, my name's Fred. You know, they weren't like all like, we weren't like besties after that or anything. And then I made another decision. I said, you know what? I'm just going to serve everybody. So I'd show up early and I'd do all the grunt work. I'd prep the fields. I'd set everything up. I'd tear everything down. I said, I'm just going to serve everyone. That's all I'm going to do. I'll be the serve guy. I don't need to lead anything here. I don't need to be anybody here. That's all I'm going to do. And you know what was amazing is over like five, six, seven weeks, now all of a sudden I know everybody because I served them. That's all I had to do. I built relationships by giving something away. And another way that we build relationships with people is consider the skills that we have and give them away to people in our neighborhood. If you know how to paint, if you know computers, if you know how to do hardwood, give me a call. If you know these kinds of things, <laughs> that's what missionaries do. They set up shop in a place, in a location, and they give away what they know and what they have. They build relationships as they serve together and serve people. It's amazing. It's really not that difficult. It really does deliver us from selfishness, though. It delivers us from selfishness. When you wake up in the morning and you're thinking about how I can build a relationship with my neighbor or my coworker, it changes how you pray and it changes what you offer to them. And so we just want to offer what we have. Stop thinking about what you don't have. People do that all the time. We do that all the time. Well, I don't have this and I'm not good at this. What do you have? What do you have? That's what you can give to the world. I mean, I found that I'm really gifted at something. Not many things, but one thing for sure. I'm gifted at throwing parties, work parties. Amen. We're going to have one today in case you're not doing anything. All right. 1130 will think that was funny. Second thing is learn how non-Christians think. First we learn, then we respond. It's very important to, that we realize that non-Christians have objections to the faith. And we're not offended by that. I used to have objections to Christianity. Uh, I had a lot of objections to Christianity. Now I just have objections to religion. <laughs> all right. There are two categories, I think, of objections. All right. There are rational and irrational, logical and illogical. I don't give any time to the illogical and the irrational. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about conspiracy theories with a drunk guy. All right. I just don't, I just don't do it. So when I think about evangelism, I'm certainly not thinking about some random person on the street corner that I'm talking to that's monopolizing my time talking about UFOs. If that's you, knock yourself out. You will not find me talking about uh, any of those things. Just here's the thing. If you get abducted, right? Phone a friend. Let us know. We'll pray for you. All right. But we need to know that there's, there's a difference. We need to learn how, how people think. Here's some questions and some comments that I hear when I talk to people that don't believe in Jesus. Number one, why does God let bad, th bad things happen? The Bible was written by people and has many errors. This is, this is a lot. A lot of people say this. God can't or won't forgive me. You don't know what I've done. I tried to go to church, but I was mistreated. Church is full of hypocrites. I don't believe there is a God. Atheism. Nobody can truly know there is a God. Agnostic, agnosticism. I am a good person and that's all right with me. There are many paths to God. We'll all get there someday. Universalism. Christians always think they're better than other people. Judgmentalism. <laughs> these, these, are the, these are just a few. There's a lot of things that you hear. Here's the thing. We know what people say. You can get good at understanding the answer. You can season your conversations with salt. You can have biblical defense or just loving response or just do this. Just listen to people's objections and don't feel like you have to address everything as you build a relationship. Don't get offended. Christians get offended all the time. They get into this debate. It's crazy. 
And so I think a lot of us, we don't never start because we don't want to get into this like this for that. My kids know this. I like to, like when I meet Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, which I don't believe are Christians, by the way. I believe those are cults. That's what I believe. When I meet Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, I talk to them long enough where they actually believe that they're converting me. I'm letting them share so much about their faith, they truly believe they've got one on the hook. But all they've done is given me a really good education about what they believe. And you know what's amazing about that is now you know how to talk to people. It's funny how we go into these back rooms and watch these videos and read these books, but we're so scared to talk to people. Let them give you an education. Just say it. Say it to a Jehovah's Witness. Hey, you know, I know that you guys believe in the 144,000. How many people are going to heaven? See what they say. I got some other things to say. I don't, I'm going to get in trouble if I bring it up. All right. I got a lot of things I could say. But just ask questions and let them answer and don't debate people. And I want to tell you, I have landed in a gospel conversation with so many people just because I let them talk. Just because I let them talk. And I genuinely got interested in them and I genuinely got interested in their story and I started to care about them. Jesus touched my heart for them. At first, when you have this anxiety as you're, I don't know what's gonna happen, I don't know, just stop it. I love them, Jesus loves them. Let's have a conversation, it's that simple. So it's that simple. Learn what people think, very important. Number, number three, we have to get good at starting conversations with non-Christians, providing we have some level of context. I'm talking about starting spiritual conversations. Most people do not talk, mind talking about spiritual things. They don't want to debate or feel stupid. I want you to remember that. They don't want to debate and they don't want to feel dumb, but they don't mind talking about spiritual things. I used to work out at the YMCA and I'd be in the hot tub after my workout. I can't tell you how many hot tub spiritual conversations, it kind of sounds weird now saying it, but anyways, for some reason, that was just the place. And I would just ask people like, hey, are you spiritual? And it's amazing what would come out of people's mouths. It's amazing what would come out of people's mouths. You know what I found a lot of times was church hurt. I found a lot of church hurt, a lot of wounded people. And who am I to say that didn't happen to them? I don't know. But that's what happened in the hot tub. <laughs> it's, it's all legit. It's all above board, guys. All right. We can ask questions that will get the ball rolling. These are just some. You, can, you, you have your own. Do you have any experience with Christianity or church? What do you believe about God? How did you come to believe this? Um, who do you believe Jesus is? Who's been the greatest spiritual influence in your life? Do you believe in right and wrong or morality? Or what do you believe about morality or the origins of morality? Where does it come from? Do you know the difference between Christianity and other religions? What are the primary beliefs of the religion that you're a part of? I just ask people all these questions. Well, I guarantee you won't get very far if you don't have time. <laughs> you gotta have some time, right? And the last thing I wanna share as I close is we must share our story. That's our testimony and his story. That's the gospel. We must do this. Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his disciples prior to his ascension, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And look at this, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the world. He didn't say you'll go witness. He said, you will be, you will become. This is what you are. You're a good one or a bad one, but you will be my witnesses. And here's what it's saying. We need power to be a witness of Jesus. If you feel like it's hard, if you feel like it's difficult, if you feel like you're a bad one, I wanna tell you why. Because you can't do it by yourself. You're not smart enough. 
You're not good enough. You're not eloquent. Am I encouraging anybody today? You're not eloquent enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not handsome enough. You're not charming enough. It's not about you being enough. It's that you need power. I'm a thoroughbred Pentecostal. I believe in speaking in tongues. I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of tongue talkers that have no boldness when it comes to being a witness. And it makes me wonder if we're really functioning in the power of God. We need to be bold in this hour. And it doesn't mean us being mean. It means us being so filled with the love and the power in the life of Jesus that it comes out of us. That's the kind of power that the world needs. Not a conquering power, not a takeover power, but the power of God's love touching people's lives because of what we do and what we say. And we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. Paul had to say that to people, didn't he? He had to tell them that. I'm not ashamed. He wasn't telling them to remind himself. He was telling people in Rome, in the midst of their secular paganistic culture, do not be ashamed of the gospel. All that's going on around you will seek to have you cower and bend your knee. Do not do that. But don't rise up in some kind of other power to dominate and coerce and manipulate and shame and put down. No, no, it's the kind of power that can cause you to stand and love people and serve people, even when they're throwing something at you, even when, even when they're talking down about you, even when they're making light of who you are and what you stand for, you can stand there in his power and know I don't, it, your, your rejection it does nothing for his acceptance. What you say does not change what I know. It's that kind of power. It's the kind of power that's not afraid to say, yeah, I'm going to church today. Yeah, I go to Northwest Church down the street. Yeah, I love Jesus. You, what, you, love, you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Hey, what'd you do this morning? What, what are you about? Oh, I spent time in the Bible. I mean, you don't have to say that. Oh, I don't want to be religious with people. Say it, see what happens. I spent time reading the Bible today. And there was something in there that I saw that I've never seen before. Just see what non-believers say. Well, really, that's great. That'll be $5, sir. I mean, what, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? We talk about being bold. You don't have to be bold and being what you're not. Just be what you are. Stop shying away from what you actually are. Don't change your words for non-Christians and just see what happens around you. Let's just live in the light as he is in the light. Let's just live out loud and stop living in shadows as if we have to hide. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide and you don't have to be mean and you don't have to be angry and you don't have to be upset. You can be in love with Jesus and let the whole world know. I think that's what the world wants is a witness that believes what they say. Does at least, they try to do what Jesus says and they serve and they love and they share. And when we're not perfect, we tell people, yeah, that's why I need the grace of Jesus. That's as authentic as it gets. I love sharing my story. I want to tell you and just be honest today, I ebb and flow. I ebb and flow. Sometimes I'm in the flow and I'm sharing all the time. And sometimes I'm in the ebb and I got to get from point A to point B. I'm being honest. And I always pray to be in the flow. I'm like, God, help me. I want to share. I've got a good friend, um, my, one of my best friends, John, Pastor John Hammer. Him and I sharpen each other. We actually ask the question, have you shared with anybody this week? Have you started a spiritual conversation? We actually sharpen each other with that. Have you done that this week? It might sound religious to some people, but we have a passion and we understand we can lose sight because we're busy and we got family and all the stuff that you got. It's like, have you, what happened today? Did you, did you start anything? No, 
I didn't. I didn't do it. <laughs> That's pretty often. But then we'll sharpen each other and say, hey, let's, let's pray for each other that God would open doors. Paul was in prison and he asked the church in Ephesus, when he wrote the letter to them, he said, pray that a wide door would be open to me that I could share the glorious gospel of Jesus. I find it interesting that a man who's in prison for the gospel did not ask that he would get out of prison, but that, that he actually asked that a door would open while he's in prison to share the gospel, which is why he's in prison. I just think that's kind of an interesting, you could just park there, I don't know. But one of my favorite stories of when I share just kind of and having a revelation of how important it is to share your testimony was Bridget and I were in Israel 10 years ago and we went to the city of Bethlehem, which is in the West Bank. It's in a Palestinian-run area. I mean, obviously, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, Wednesday, come Wednesday, we'll talk about that. But we're, we're there in the West Bank, and everybody's eating lunch, and so we went shopping, or we went looking at stuff. We don't buy anything, but we went looking is what we did. So we're going shop to shop, and we end up in this one shop, and there's all the Christian paraphernalia that's there, a lot of figurines and nativity scenes and all this stuff. Uh, and I end, end up in a conversation with this guy and his name was Roman. He's a Muslim man. He grew up in the West Bank. He's lived there his whole life. So we're starting a conversation. And yes, he wants to sell stuff to me because they live off of tourism in that land. And so I know, but we actually crossed that bridge and now we're talking personally and I'm asking him about his family and all this stuff. And then he offers me some um, Arabic coffee, which was make you stand up straight. whatever that was, little, little cup, little cup. I don't know what was in that, but uh, so we're drinking coffee together and Bridget's looking at stuff. And, um, and then I knew this was a moment. So I shared my, I shared my five minute Jesus story with him about how the Lord, I knew the gospel when I was a kid, but I never yielded my heart. And I had a powerful encounter with, with uh, Jesus after people started sharing the gospel with me for about three months. And I had a powerful encounter. I heard his voice in my room at 19 years old at two o'clock in the morning, right, right around there. And when I heard his voice, he said, I love you and I always have. I didn't even know you could hear the voice of God. I grew up going to church a couple times a month here and there, but I stopped when I was a teenager. And I had this really powerful encounter. And the next day I yielded my heart to the Lord. The next day I woke up and I always say the grass was green, the sky was blue, and I'd never seen it before. Everything went into color. I never went back to drugs. I never went back to alcohol. I'm not, you know, some people drink a beer and wine. I'm just, I wasn't, I didn't do that. I was just drinking drugs, all that stuff. I never, I was completely delivered. I woke up in the morning, didn't even ask for it. I was completely delivered. Never went back to any of it, never. And uh, sexual sin just, just completely cut off. I was, I was delivered and I didn't even ask for it. That's what Jesus does. That's what he did for me. So I share with this guy about how Jesus became real and I heard his voice and, I'm, and as I'm talking, he just, his face just lights up like a Christmas tree. Roman's into it. Five minutes in, he's into it. And here's two things that he said to me that I wanna share with you and I never forgot what he said. The first thing that he shared is I've never heard a Christian share a story like that with me. I just want to remind you, we're in a shop with all the Christian paraphernalia. I mean, it's kind of prophetic. Like, like Jesus is on every shelf. <laughs> Jesus' <is> house. <laughs> we're in Bethlehem. <laughs> so I'm having like this prophetic moment with Roman, this Muslim man born and raised in this area. And he, he's never heard 
someone tell him this. I've never heard somebody tell me a story like this about a real Jesus meeting a real person with real change. He had never heard that before. And the second thing he said is that you're really lucky to have that happen to you. Now, he, I, that's just the word he used. You're really lucky to have that happen to you. Oh, I said, oh, Roman, I'm not, I'm not lucky. God loves the whole world. That's what the Bible says. And I didn't just plant a seed. I planted a palm tree in that guy's life. You know, <laughs> praise God. I just, you know, I didn't lead him to the Lord. I tried. I, he, he, he's a Muslim guy. Lives in, it, it wasn't going to happen there. But he did add me on Facebook. Roman, if you're watching, I love you, man. I do. I do. He added me on Facebook. We chatted a little bit. But I just want to tell you something, that that wasn't a day that I was feeling great. I didn't have all the faith in the world. I'm not a great evangelist. Me and Bridget were tired. We're walking, you know, I don't know, 10, 12 miles a day in Israel. We're totally out of our own place, our own country, our own background. I'm talking to a guy. I don't know anything that he goes through in life. I, have liter- I can't relate to this man at all. Everything he's been born and raised in, I don't, I don't have a clue. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. So here I am in this religious context. We're in Bethlehem, Christian paraphernalia all around. He sells it for a living, but he had never heard somebody tell him, there's a real Jesus that changes people's lives, people like me, who are nobody as far as I can tell, but somebody to Christ. He said, I'd never heard it. And I just want to remind you today, no matter how bad you might be at doing this, there's somebody on the other end that needs what you have to say. Even a little bit, even a little bit, God will use you. Say, Ben, I'm not good at it. None of us are. None of us are. The world needs to know that there's a real God changing lives today. His name is Jesus. You know him. Other people need to know him. We're not afraid of the secular culture. They need what we have. They need what we have. Let's put our stones down and take up the Great Commission and see what God will do. See what God will do. See how he'll flip federal way. See how he'll flip Washington state. See what God will do if people take the Great Commission as seriously as they did in the first century. What will God do? Would you stand to your feet and let me pray for you today? I'm not gonna ask you if you want this. (laughs) I'm just believing you do. Come on. Pray with me. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. We yield to you today, to you and your gospel. We don't want to save our life, whatever that means. We want to lose our life, whatever that is in this world, for the sake of you, your words, and your gospel. And God, I just pray that you would light a fire in us, light the flame of our heart to be in love with you and to share, imperfectly stumbling over our words, giving our Jesus story, talking about creation and rebellion and redemption and response and restoration. Just whatever we do know, we share. Whatever we do have, we give. Father, compel us by the Spirit to give away whatever we are, whatever we have for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.